Good morning, everybody. Little update on what's happening at the new building. Uh, we are painting, uh, trimming a lot, and I thank God for a fellow from Wadsworth who showed up who used to have a painting business. His name is Phil. Phil, right? And I went in there Friday, and he's just take. he has a sprayer. I go, oh, thank you, Lord. It's going a whole lot faster with the sprayer than with the rollers. Uh, but if you have any free time next week, there's still a lot of trimming that has to be done. Uh, they trusted me even to trim the primer, uh, but things are going great. February 13th is the day. You want to make sure you're there and invite uh, a neighbor or two to come with you because that will be a very, very cool day. We'll have everything in there except for the new chairs probably uh, due to COVID back order. Uh, so we'll be waiting for them to arrive, but we'll have chairs. You don't have to bring your lawn chairs. All right. We will have chairs February 13th. We'll continue our series through Ephesians where we find out that everything about us flows from our identity. It even determines the way we live. Our identity has a way to regulate and determine our emotions, our decisions, our behavior in life. Everything comes down to our identity. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2 today. If you want to turn there, or the scriptures will be on the screen. Before we jump in there, I want you to imagine a scene where you walk into a room of complete strangers and you see a table that has been placed there and it has name tags on it, stickers, markers, and you know the drill. We did it a couple weeks ago in this room. You step up and you're about to write your name. The name tag says, hello, I am. You're about to write your name and a lady steps up to you and says, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. We're doing something a little different. We're playing a game today. We want you, instead of writing your name, we want you to write a phrase or a couple words that describe you and identify you other than your name. And I go, well, isn't that what names are for? So just play along, write something down there that identifies you, a word, a phrase other than your name. What would you write? What would you put in that blank? Hello, I am... You're sitting close to somebody. Tell them what you'd say. Tell them what you'd write. Go ahead. Hello, I am. Statistically, most of us would identify ourselves based on our job or obligation. You might say, hello, I am a teacher. I am an attorney. I am a doctor. I am a janitor. I am a coach. And none of that would really pop out in your name tag unless you said, you know, put on there American Ninja Warrior or something. You know, nobody's going to say, whoa, you do that? So what happens, though, when you classify yourself and put yourself, your occupation, your job on there, it immediately puts you in a community with other people. The doctors all get together. The coaches all get together because they have built community by what they do. Another thing sometimes written in there is some sort of struggle, some sort of change that you've endured in life. Many people identify themselves by a challenge that they've experienced. 
I'm a recovering addict. I'm divorced. I'm a recovering person from abuse. I'm someone who has gone through. And that is a way of shaping us into who we are. Like it or not, it does. But the moment you write down a struggle or a challenge, if that's how you identify yourself, again, you belong to a community. You've been a former alcoholic, you're going to be with other former alcoholics, and you form this community together. You might write down a passion or an interest. You might say, hello, I am a runner. I am a decorator. I am a hunter. I, I'm, I love this certain TV show or this kind, these kind of movies. Again, based on your identity by what your passion is, your hobby is, you establish a community. When your identity, your identity comes from a building community, there's another word for that, and that is a tribe. You're identified in a tribe, in a group. In the book of Ephesians, Paul breaks down his teaching. The first few chapters is this is who you are. Again, this is your tribe. This is the truth of your identity, and we talked about that a couple weeks ago, and that is you are, as a believer, in Christ. After he talks about them, who they are, then he's going to talk to us in the next couple weeks about what we're to do. But as we think through our identity, one of the ways many people have identified and shaped themselves is by what other people have said about them. What other people have said about us. We've been labeled, maybe since we were young. In fact, there are two factors that give a lot of weight into the way other people think about us and the way they talk about us. And those two factors are early and often. The early and often factor. What we're told about ourselves early and often in life often affect us all the way through our lives. Your parents may have said, man, you're athletic or you're beautiful or you're clumsy. May have been words from a coach or a step-parent or a teacher or a friend. But when they're told to us those words early and often, they often stay with us and shape our identity for the rest of our lives. That way, if you pay attention, you'll see people who believe things about themselves that really doesn't make a lot of sense. You may see someone with a PhD who feels dumb. You may come across the CEO who feels like a failure. You may find fitness competitors who often feel fat, out of shape. You may come across a wife who, though their husband loves them dearly, they still feel unwanted and unloved. Why is that? Well, it's because they, well, they were told early and often in their life, and it kind of sinks in there and stays with them for their entire life. That's why Satan's called a liar. Satan's called an accuser. Anytime he can get us to buy into that, he wins. And so again, Paul in the book of Ephesians is writing to we as believers, he's saying, here's your true identity. Here's the truest thing about you. You are in Christ. You are in Christ. 
And those, that phrase, that identity should change everything about us. A lot of you, when you say, hello, I am, would write in that blank either a success or a failure. And Paul's going to talk about that. He speaks into that. He's like, look, the truest thing about you isn't your successes and it's not your failures. Well, let's talk about failure just for a moment. We're not defined by our failures. And we'll frame it up this way. You are not who you were. You are not who you were. That's a language consistent with the teachings of the New Testament. You are not who you were. Another way to say that is, you are not what you've done. When you look in the mirror, you may see failure. You may see a mistake you made, moments in life that you would love to have back. Those things constantly come back up and begin to identify us. And there are people, unfortunately, who continue to remind us of that. Well, you remember when you, you remember, you remember, and that identity constantly resurfaces. And here's what happen, happens. If you think you are who you were, and people constantly remind you of who you were, then you'll start to live the way you did, right? Because that's the expected of you, and people reinforce that. Husbands, any husbands in here that have ever gotten in trouble for something you didn't do? Raise your hand. Now you're in trouble for raising your hand. And Chrissy's like, what was that? Timmy, what was that? <laughs> Why is that? Well, it's probably because you're the one who usually does it, right? We're the one who usually does it. Think about it. If, you, if the remote control is missing in your house... Guys, you may not have done it. It may have been a dog. It may have been one of kids. But if you've always been the remote control loser, that's how you've been identified over the years, then everyone's going to look at you to say, hey, where's the remote control? Because that's the what you've done in the past. And so you're always labeled that way. I've watched, Brenna has uh, taught kindergarten the last two years. And I've watched as she's talked about kids who have come into the classroom. And it's interesting to me how teachers, not my wife, but other teachers can begin to label a child a certain way. And then all the other teachers think of that child the same way. And that child suffers the whole year or is even dismissed from kindergarten because that's the way they acted in the first two weeks. That's not who they would be at the end of the school year if they would have just invested in them. And that's what happens to us. We get labeled a certain way, and if we have done something in the past, if we're not careful, we can allow that to be our identity for our, our entire life. So Paul's going to write to these Christians and to us to remind them, you are not who you were. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. He's saying, this is the way you used to be. This is not who you are now. The truest thing about you now, the truest thing, 
The truest thing is not that you're divorced. The truest thing is not that you cheated. It's not that you were cheated on. The truest thing about you is not that you dropped out or you got kicked out. The truest thing about you is not that you were addicted. It's not the truest thing about you. Those things may be true about you, but they're not the truest thing about you. Those things may have been who you were, but in Christ, they're not who you are. They're not who you are today. You're not the names they called you in junior high. You're not what your friends said behind your back. You're not what the coach yelled at you. They were wrong about you. That may have been who you were, but that's not who you are. Follow me? You are in Christ. All things new. Second thing Paul addresses is our successes. We have a tendency to find our identity in things that we've done, things that we've accomplished. There's a tendency for us to want to identify publicly with other people by what we've done, what we've accomplished in life. This is especially true of the Jews in Paul's day that he's writing to because they have been told early and often that their identity, their value as a person was on their good deeds, their good works upon their law keeping. And so their religious resume is how they would identify themselves. Here's who I am, they would say. Paul says that's no longer the way you identify yourself. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, he says, he writes, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. He says, it's by grace you've been saved. Verse 8 says, it is for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. What identifies you as a Christian is not your effort, it's not your good deeds. What identifies you as a Christian is your faith in Christ. It's the grace of God. That's what saved you. That's what can save you. It isn't earned it's given. When we get confused on this, we miss something. We miss that our identity really has nothing with what we, to do with what we do in life or who we used to be. And we get mixed up on it, it can lead to a few things real quickly. It can lead to a pressure to perform because we're only as good as what we accomplished last. We're only loved because of what we've done, we feel. Secondly, it leads to a fear of failure. We're afraid to reach out and try something new. We don't want that to be on our record. So we're careful with how we live. Then it leads to constant comparisons. As soon as we reach one goal, we see where someone else is and we're always looking at someone else and it puts pressure on us to even go more. Fourth, that leads to wrecked relationships because we end up using people. If we're identifying ourselves by our accomplishments, we either overlook people or we use people. 
to help us accomplish more. Then lastly, it leads to fatigue and frustration. It will just plain wear you out if your identity comes from what you do. In Christ, our identity isn't earned, it's given. Your identity isn't what you do, it isn't in who you were. Your identity is shaped by what Jesus did for you. This is huge. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 again says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. What's the last phrase say? It is. Verse 10 says, for we are God's masterpieces. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we may do all the good things he planned for us long ago. Verse 13, but now in Christ, there's that phrase again, now in Christ, you who were once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Paul says, look, it's not about what you've done. It's not about whether you're good or bad. It's not about whether you're a failure or a success. It's not about that. It's about what Jesus did for you on the cross. The only person who has a right to label you is God himself because he purchased that right. Let me say it again. The only person, the only one who has a right to label you is God. And he purchased that right when he allowed his son to die on a cross for you. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul puts it like this. You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. Only he has the right to label you. No one else has that right. You are who he says you are. You are not who you were. You are not what you do. You are who Jesus says you are. And he says you are loved. You are worthy. You are adopted. You have been purchased, Jesus says, by my blood. And every single week, we have a chance to reflect on that. I'm going to ask you to pull out your communion emblems. You pick those up. So I want you to peel back the bread and just look at it for a moment. Let me read these scriptures again as you look at that. For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that you may do all the good things he planned for us long ago. But now in Christ, you who were once afar away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Father, as we're about to take these emblems, God, we thank you that you paid the price to purchase us, 
And God, all of us as believers in this room can say, we are in Christ. We are a community of believers. And we've been brought together, not by who we were, not by anything we've done, but simply, God, by your sacrifice, your grace, and your love. God, we honor you now. We reflect on that sacrifice as we take these emblems together. In Jesus' name. In October of 2011, the Associated Press ran a very moving story about a name-changing ceremony of 285 girls in Mumbai, India. At birth, these 285 girls had been named Nukasa, which translated means unwanted. It's one of the most common names for girls in India. They were named unwanted because their families wanted sons, most of them, and they got daughters. Female babies were often, are often, even still today, aborted and neglected at alarming rates in India. And so there was a renaming ceremony. It was an attempt to give these girls who were called unwanted a new name. The article said that the 285 girls wearing their best outfits with barrettes and braids and bows in their hair lined up to receive certificates with their new names along with a small bouquet of flowers. Then they listed the names that the girls chose. They had been called unwanted, but now they chose names that meant something. Prosperous, beautiful, adorable, good. And one way or another, every name meant the same thing, wanted. Their whole lives, they've been given this identity. That's what they had been called. That's how they had been labeled. That's what people said about them early and often. But now they had a new name, Wanted. So I wanna do this morning as we wrap this up, is I kinda wanna have a renaming ceremony in here. I want us to truly understand the identity that we claim in Christ. That it's not about who you were, it's not about what you've done, but it's all about what Jesus has said about us. Paul words it in Ephesians, he says, you are chosen. You are adopted. You are citizens. You are purchased. You are wanted. Say this with me. Hello, I am wanted. Now let's say, hello, I am wanted. God loves me. Say, hello, I am wanted. Your identity my identity, 
was forever settled when Jesus died on a cross. He purchased it. Only he has the right, only he has the right to label you. No one else in this world, only Jesus Christ himself. And so I want you to think through your life, through your identity. Those of you who claim to be in Christ, what is it that you haven't claimed in that? What is it that you truly haven't taken hold of in that identity? And grab a hold of it. And maybe there are those who have never taken hold of that identity or never confirmed that identity. You may have been a believer. You may believe that Jesus died for you on the cross, that he purchased you, but never in obedience have you followed through in baptism to claim that and say, God, I want to honor you here. All of us are in one area or another. Either we need to claim it more or we need to claim it for the very first time. So I want us to reflect on that. Rename ourselves. We are in Christ.